All right, let's pray. God, in these next few minutes, we want to bring glory to you uh, in the way we spend this time. And just pray for an attentiveness that would be uncharacteristic of the dynamics in here. Uh, just pray that the Spirit will communicate to, um, to each of us how we should in some ways breathe out, given, given the things that we've breathed in these last few weeks together. I uh, just pray for a um, time that brings glory to you and how we spend it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is called mobile worship. For those of you who haven't been a part or been at a different location than our cross point location on the south side of town before, this is mobile worship. We've been doing this probably um, three, four years, something like that. I, I forget how long exactly we've been doing it, but mobile worship was born. Let me just tell you, too, let me interject this. Just get used to the noise. All right, I will if you will. You just do the best you can with mobile worships. So we, we like the thought of periodically having everybody in here. So that's what this is. So don't fret about the noise. I won't worry about it. Those of you who are young people without kids yet who've made decisions about how you'll handle your kids someday, <laughs> your time is coming. And um, so just have some grace with those who are wrestling their kids this morning. Mo Worship was born really in a prayer time that we spent where we were praying about ways that we could walk in what we'd heard about worship. And I think it was specifically in the time where we were looking in John where Mary offered her worship to Christ with a year's worth of perfume called nard. She broke this little alabaster vial and she anointed his feet. Another gospel tells us his head and um, worshiped him and that aroma wafted into not only that house throughout that time, but in the next day. And we considered too, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is told, this story will be shared. We considered that that aroma of her worship not only wafted into the house and the next day, but it wafted 2,000 years into our context as we gathered together and enjoyed Mary's worship. So we considered that we wanted our worship to be aromatic and that there were potentially, potentially sections of our community where the aroma was not necessarily noticeable. And we wanted to go to locations where we didn't perceive that worship was vibrant and alive. Knowing that God owns geography, we wanted to pick up and move. It accomplished a few things for us, at least in our mind, was... Um, taking worship where worship isn't or where worship is weak, and then also taking us outside of our building where we could be reminded periodically, a couple times in the fall, a couple times in the spring, that church is not a building, but church is a people. It's more than semantics to say, I'm going to church, because it shapes a mindset about what church is. If you say, I'm going to church, it may seem like a small thing, but what you're effectively saying, how it will play out, is that I'm going to a location, and I'm going on a certain day of the week. So church can potentially be contained to a location geographically and a day of the week chronologically. So picking up on mobile worship, although we do it also on Sunday mornings at our traditional time, Picking up and moving it to a different location is a good reminder for us that church is not a building. But the people of God can gather anywhere, anytime, because we're agile 
and mobile. So it's, it's, it's a good reminder for us. Now, started three or four years ago. It's a little bit of background. Our mindset about mobile worship also then began to bleed over into our mindset about family clubs or kids clubs. Years ago, we had kids clubs that we, we wanted them to be away from our facility and not just another version of a VBS. So we actually did them in neighborhood uh, areas. We had three or four throughout the, na- or throughout the community in different neighborhoods. Um, I think we had one at the Wade's house one year, one at our house. Different, some of you may have had one of these at your house. And then that sort of morphed into the thought, let's take these family clubs where we're mobilizing for worship. And we had a special focus on the north side of town, so our family clubs then moved to the north side of town to Graham Park. Now, I think mobile worship on the north side of town and our family clubs in the north side of town had the best intentions. As I think us gathering here today has the best of intentions. It's a great reminder for us. It's a great opportunity to connect to a part of town where we may not go typically. But something that's developed in these last few months, years maybe, is sort of the thought What is it saying when we drive by other church buildings? Now, they're buildings. I'm not calling them the church. But we drive by these other buildings where other churches gather. We drive by them or we may actually have a function near them and we do not engage them. I don't think there's a person in our church that's ever thought as we drive by other churches to go mobilize to different parts of town You're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. Nobody's ever thought that. But functionally, that's how it plays out. Functionally, how it plays out, I fear, is that as we drive by with the thought, we're going to go save the north side of town, is that you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. You're not doing it, you're not doing it, you're not doing it. So we're going to show up and we're going to save the day. Now, nobody has ever thought that. But I fear that that's how it's played out. Now, Park that for a moment and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to come back to that concern about the mobile mindset. Concern about um, how that was functionally playing out. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, just we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking the scripture this morning. This is going to be sort of a uh, a breathing out sort of message. If you were here uh, for Derek's couple of sermons, he sort of introduced the language that they use in the far corners often of breathing in and breathing out, that certain things have more of a breathing in aspect of, of like Bible exposition, truth exposition, uh, and then there's breathing out where you actually go and walk in what you've heard. So this is sort of a breathing out sort of message. So it's going to be pretty light on exposition. Um, although hopefully poignant. Hebrews chapter 1 is about the deity of Jesus, and specifically it develops the reality that Jesus is better than angels. may not seem like a big deal to you, but to a Hebrew church in the first century, apparently there was a really high view of angels. So he's developing how Jesus is better than angels, and he says something in verse 13 that he then develops in chapter 2. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
He's referencing Psalm 110. And what he's going to develop here in chapter 2 is that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Where God the Father is essentially saying, Son, you've done well. You've gone where I told you, told you to go. You've taken on flesh. You've lived a sinless life. You've gone to the cross. You're resurrected. Now have a seat. When he said it's finished, he meant it. It's finished. So when you see Christ in the New Testament, most times he's seated. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let's see how he develops that in chapter 2. Jump down to verse 5. Picking up that theme of angels again. Now, it wasn't the angels that God subjected the world to come, implying that he has subjected it to someone of which we're speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little while, for a little while, lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, if you recall, when we were here preaching through this, we realized this is speaking about Christ. The Hebrews preacher is not taking the psalm just at face value as, God, what, what are you that you would think of the likes of us? There is that message there. But the more important message there is that that psalmist, whether he realizes it or not, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he records those words, is writing about Jesus. And that Jesus is the one that is having things placed in subjection under his feet. The passage continues. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, though, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We've gone back to that passage a lot in these last few weeks. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels... Namely, Jesus. He's crowned now with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What we've realized in these last few weeks, this passage is really in many ways a martial call for the church. These truths are developed in a church that's sort of hunkered down and playing it safe because things are hard and scary and dangerous and difficult. And he's saying, man, this whole thing has been placed in subjection under Christ's feet. Although we don't yet see everything in subjection to him, you look around in the north side of town and you see crime. You see it elsewhere too. You see a lot of it in the north side of town. You see drug use in the north side of town. You see poverty in the north side of town. You look around in different contexts and you see unplanned pregnancies and you see abortion. You look around in different contexts and you see orphans and, and children that are stuck in the foster system. You see many things that haven't been placed yet under his feet. But the reason, the reason this is a martial call for the church is he's saying Hebrews church, Crosspoint church, I want to place those things under my son's feet through the work of the church and the gospel. Man, it's a martial call for the church where we realize that the advancement and the success of his kingdom through the ministry of the gospel is the expectation. If all you're expecting is to hunker down until Jesus comes back while poverty or drug use our just pure lostness, our abortion, our kids stuck in the foster system, or crime just run rampant, then you're not expecting much of our gospel. And you're not expecting much of the church. 
We found in these passages, we really engage them an an encouragement to be optimistic about what the church and the gospel can do, that the gates of hell will in fact not prevail against the church that I'm planting on the likes of you, Peter. Man, these dots get connected and you realize he's talking about the kingdom of heaven being like leaven, that in fact leavens the whole loaf, like a mustard seed that seems really small and insignificant but then grows into a large tree. Through our engagement in these passages in Hebrews, we trust now that the gospel and the church can not only make a difference in marriages. We've been there. Somebody brings marital problems to me or brings issues to me or life struggles to me, I'm taking them to the gospel because I believe that those things would be medicine for those wounds and those needs. Not only is the gospel and the church an answer for those sort of issues, but it can also make a difference in a divided community. Can anybody expect that of the church and the gospel? That it can make a difference in a divided community? That it could possibly make a difference in a section of town filled with crime and poverty? That the gospel and the church could possibly impact the shocking problem of abortion? Those things look like massive Jericho walls. They look like massive giants. They look like massive red seas to our back that are insurmountable. How could we possibly deal with those sort of issues? And then God, o'er and o'er, has proved that he can do the work if we'll step out into it. Now, back to our concern of driving by other church buildings to go save the day. I'll share a passage with you that I shared whenever we had a Sunday where we sort of had a guest preacher, an ancient guest preacher, Athanasius. There's an introduction to this book called On On the Incarnation written by C.S. Lewis. Um, Holly Green sent me an email yesterday where you can get this free online, the introduction. You can probably get On the Incarnation on free online as well. But the introduction is wonderful. Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis, and you'll see a dot begin to get connected here in a minute. He's encouraging reading the ancients. He says, if any man is tempted to think, as one might be tempted, who read only contemporaries, that Christianity is a word of so many meanings, you could say flavors, walk in the Christian bookstore and see all the different flavors, that it means nothing at all. If anyone's concerned that there's so many different flavors, it essentially means nothing at all. He can learn beyond all doubt by stepping out of his own century. That this is not so. Measured against the ages, mere Christianity turns out to be no insipid interdenominational transparency, but something positive, something self-consistent and inexhaustible. He goes on to talk about some of the people that he's read, Christians that had different takes on things, but were yet Christian. And then later on he says, we are all rightly distressed and ashamed also at the divisions of Christendom. But those who have always lived within the Christian fold may be too easily dispirited by them. They are bad, but such people do not know what it looks like from without. C.S. Lewis knew what it looked, Christendom looked like from without because he wasn't always a believer. 
seen from there, what is left intact, despite all divisions, still appears as it truly is, an immensely formidable unity. From the inside, you go in the Christian bookstore and there's flavors everywhere. From the inside, if you do some, if, if, you, if you tune in to denominational differences at all, you know there's 31 flavors out there. But from the outside, they're saying those people believe that God the Son took on flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died, was crucified and risen, bearing the sins of his peop- people, and is now seated and in session. From the outside, it looks like what he calls an immensely formidable unity. And you know what? He's right. He's right. These churches that we have effectively driven by functionally said, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. If they're agreeing with us in that, we have far more in common than any differences that we may have. Their pastor may preach with a towel around their microphone, and somebody might sit behind them with an organ emphasizing their points. Somebody might sit on the other side saying, read it. But if they're agreeing in this, we have far more in common than anything we have different. Man, these dots start to get connected, and then we realize it is a, what did he call it? An immensely formidable unity. Man. So a few weeks ago, what I thought about, and kind of light, in light of these things, I began to talk with Greg Fields, a pastor of Westminster Church, and Presbyterian Church, mind you, not even Baptist, and James Gilbert. Some of you may know James Gilbert. He's the pastor of Bethel AME. And began to talk with these guys via text message and email with the idea of just getting together and talking about this. I wanted to share with James my concern about how we've sort of, my concern about the impression of showing up to the north side of town to save the day. James's church, Bethel AME, is just north of the Rafa Clinic, which is just on the, right there in downtown. So he's sort of moving in that direction of this part of town that we've been burdened about. So I wanted to share with him my concerns about swooping in to save the day. And he confirmed that my concerns probably are legitimate to some degree. That probably to those living on the north side of town or those living just north of downtown, when Crosspoint shows up and our SUVs, not knocking SUVs, I drive one. We show up in our nice SUVs and our nice polos and we're encouraging them to come to Crosspoint Fellowship. <laughs> that it, it probably does come off a little bit like, what, what are you guys doing showing up here to save the day? You're saying we need help? It probably comes off in the opposite of what we'd intend. And he confirmed some of that for me. And was, we had a real honest conversation about what might be going on there. So then I transferred. Our conversation shifted to me asking about his dreams for the neighborhoods surrounding his church, Bethel AME. And then James, with great passion, began to share his dream and burden for a tutoring ministry that would be housed out of the Bethel AME facility there. He said there are a number of families around his area there that education is struggling and those who even want a good education, their parents either won't or can't tutor them. That possibly offering a tutoring ministry might connect to those families in a way. Yes, it is a needs-driven connection, 
in the face of a very real need. He identified that there are families there that need this, and he had the idea of us kind of praying through the neighborhoods there surrounding Bethlehem AME, like the nation of Israel walking around the wall around Jericho, that in some ways through prayer that we could pray the walls down and connect to some of those families. As we continued to talk together, it seemed like our burden for areas of town suffering from poverty and crime could be shifted and maybe even refined. That the burden's a good thing, but possibly it could be refined to coming alongside bodies of believers who are already there. That possibly we as a church could come alongside their dreams and their burdens, and instead of treating them as if they're nothing as we drive by them to save the day. That we could possibly be part of placing this area of town under Christ's feet by coming alongside them in their work and connecting families to their church. Crazy notion. A crazy notion. So we talked together about possibly Crosspoint and Westminster coming alongside the prayer and the outreach and possibly even the eventual staffing of this tutoring ministry. We dreamt together too of possibly someday the idea, the sweet idea of a school on the north side of town, a Christian school with free tuition. Where you have not only opportunity to have kids for a little while, you have them five days a week all day long and chance to connect to their families And those are big dreams. You know, those who believe gospels that aren't true are doing a better job of long-term investment in communities and in people than sometimes we are because I think many of us have been conditioned to this thought of let me get you to pray a prayer and hopefully you'll be in the kingdom and then we can move on. But really making disciples takes gobs of time and it takes a long-term investment and thinking about ministries like this where we see people's faces over a period of time whether through a tutoring ministry or through a school. Think together about, do you think it ironic that we have so many homeschooling families in this church that he couldn't have possibly raised up an army of teachers that are standing ready to teach in a Christian school in an area of town that could need it, that could use it? Think about the number of people in our church that are educators that have that sort of background, that he's possibly raising up an army within us to tackle something like this. Now, I'll just share with you right now, this is a fledgling burden and a fledgling dream, but it's one that's beginning to take shape. In fact, we're going to be meeting with the Bethel AME elders this coming Wednesday night, Crosspoint elders, the Westminster Presbyterian elders, and the Bethel AME elders to pray and dream and talk and fellowship and enjoy a very risen and seated Lord. I encourage you to pray with us about that time that we're going to spend together this coming Wednesday night. Now, something else happened this week. Two other things happened this week that I think connect to some of these issues that are beginning to come in focus for us. This week I met with our families working with the Rafa Clinic that are only a block away from Bethel AME, mind you. And I heard from them some of the things that some of the needs that they're facing right now as a clinic. I don't know if you realize this, but a good part of the Rafa staff is staffed by people at Crosspoint. In some ways, although this ministry is not sent by Crosspoint, our church is closely connected to the ministry of Rafa. In case you don't know anything about Rafa, here's their vision 
a compassionate resource for women and their families facing unplanned pregnancies and or challenging parenting circumstances. Really, the Rafa Clinic is trying to minister to mothers who are considering abortion by opening their eyes to what they're actually doing should they go through with something like that. And their reference point is not guilt, not shame, not medicine, maybe some of that, but their real reference point is the gospel, holding forth that God knitted that child together in the womb and that God can have a plan for them even if it's not for them to raise that baby. It's gospel meeting a need. Here are some of the needs that they shared with me in my time together with them. And I would expect that Crosspoint would have a large role in staffing these needs. The first three involve a year commitment of three to four hours per week. Three to four hours per week. A client advocate, that's the first one. Second one is a nurse. And third is a receptionist. Those things, those, each of those, you can get some more details on those. I can get you some more details on those. You can connect to Theresa or Heidi or Krista, and we can get you some more details on what specifically those are about. This next need is for a class facilitator, prenatal and parenting facilitator. You teach a class that meets for an hour and a half once a week for six weeks and do that three times over the course of a year. So six-week commitment, three times over the course of a year, meeting for an hour and a half once a week. And then there are hope mentors, a year commitment of one to two hours once a week. There's some other needs that they have there, but those are, I think, the, the central needs that they would want me to put in front of this church and that I would tell you as one of the elders, I'm expecting Crosspoint to step out and connect to this. This is breathing out, folks. This is connecting very real needs to the reality that our Lord is seated and in session and he's placing things under his feet through us stepping out in frightening ministries, scary ministries where I guarantee you're going to feel ill-equipped and ill-prepared where he's going to step out and meet the need and connect the dots, connect people to the gospel and be glorified in it. It's not just a woman thing either, this Rafa Clinic. They're also hoping to build sort of a men's counseling ministry because there are couples that come in the front door of the Rafa Clinic oftentimes where they may have someone on hand to meet with a woman, but they want to build a, a group of men that are willing to meet with men. So I encourage you men to be praying through that as well. My hope and prayer, again, is that Crosspoint would heavily staff these sort of needs because we're in tune with how God is putting Christ's enemy, enemies under his feet. Our God is putting enemies under Christ's feet like this, like the enemy of abortion. The third thing that happened this week, or the second thing that happened this week, the third thing that connects to this is Thursday noontime, we have a prayer time where the elders are available to meet with members of the body for prayer. And Ginevra Ott and Jessica Edwards came and shared with me, Lori Roberts was there as well, shared with us during our prayer time their burden and dream for a maternity house at Cleek Retreat. You talk about an infant idea, but an awesome dream. They were sharing the number of times that they hear about moms that either can't take care of their baby or moms that want to give up their baby or moms that don't know what to do and just need a place to live because they've been booted out of their own homes to give them a place to live at the Cleek Retreat. 
For some reason, God is connecting our body and families in our body to orphans and fatherless often. And this would be a way that we could walk in that connection. One of the things that I enjoyed about the time that we spent together as we considered this is Ginevra said, you know, before when I first thought about this, this clique retreat idea, which is a rock's throw from their house, she thought maybe it'd be cool if we just asked Dixon Baptist to give us the clique retreat because it belongs to Dixon Baptist Church. And then she said, you know, what might even be better in light of dominion, in light of where we've been in Hebrews, is for us to come alongside the Dixon Church in this dream that could possibly add a fresh wind and vigor to that church that they seem to need right now. And that's advancing the kingdom. Just that notion is connecting the dots. I felt like this morning I wanted us to get away from our facility on the south side of town. And I wanted to be mobile when I shared these sort of things with you. We need to be reminded that our church is not a building, but it is a people. And we are agile and mobile, attentive and responsive. I love worshiping together at our building. I do. It's my safe zone. <laughs> this is not easy to preach in this setting. Seeing parents wrestling kids, seeing in a general inattentiveness compared to our, our other facility, it's not easy, I promise you. I love worshiping there. But like a family who enjoys their den, we should be able to gather and talk about things that matter at the park or in the car or at a restaurant. We'll continue to do mobile worships in the future, but I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to be with a serious emphasis on bolstering and edifying and praying for and lifting up churches in the area where we mobilize. Imagine this idea. Imagine instead of passing out flyers for Crosspoint, passing out flyers for churches in that area. Derek said something the other night. He said something that's really cool is just kind of filing off your serial number. There's something God-glorifying and kingdom-advancing about. Filing off your serial number, taking your name off something, and just making his name great. Think about the idea of passing out flyers for churches that we're near as we mobilize. Imagine being part of advancing the kingdom without necessarily advancing our own growth as a church. It just sounds like something that God would bless. And let me tell you, if there are only a few of us that are dreaming like this, then these sorts of things are going to remain dreams. And they're just going to remain things that we talk about. We may talk about being mobile and agile if only a few people are dreaming and willing. But, hear me right now, people of God, hear me. If a body of believers can catch it, if a body of believers can catch a vision of being part of God's placing all things under Christ's feet, i.e. his reign and his rule, like the north side of town, or like abortion in our community, or the, even the existence of the fatherless, then we're talking about being truly used. 
If your goal in Christianity, which I fear is most people's goal, and I would say would be, have been my goal for most of my Christian journey, is to simply avoid the ditches of major sin, I make you this promise. It's a matter of time before you find them. Hear that, people of God. Parents, if your goal in life for your kids is that they will avoid the ditches of major sin, I guarantee they're going to find them. And if they manage to not, the other ditch they'll find is the ditch of pride. I make you that promise. If all Christianity is, is just avoiding the ditches, then man, what a lame thing we have to offer. It's a matter of time before you find those ditches if that's all you're after. But if your goal is to actually be about something that brings him glory... If your goal in life is to actually have a trajectory and a course and to be about his work, to be about the advancement of the kingdom and not just the avoidance of the ditches, to be about a destination that has eternal value, dealing with real issues and real problems in our community and meeting real needs, at least in my experience, the ditches will avoid you. They avoid you. They can't catch you because you're moving. May we be this people. My hope and prayer as we spend the next few minutes in prayer is that we'll be this people. Let's pray. Lord, as we are sitting here at the middle school on this 22nd of April, we want to lift up the churches that are closest to this middle school. Some that we don't know details about, New Jerusalem Baptist Church, Bible Missionary Church, Pilgrim Tabernacle Church, True Vine Baptist Church, and then those we do know details about, like Bethlehem Missionary Baptist Church, pastored by Roosevelt Broach. Lord, I want to pray for Roosevelt. First of all, I want to pray for his worship. I pray that you will guard him as you would guard the pastors of these other churches, as you would guard me and the other pastors in this community from just doing a job. But that we would truly be fueled by calling, that we would be fueled by worship, that we would enjoy Christ so much that it would spill over, first of all, onto our families. And then on to those that you've given us stewardship and walking with. Lord, specifically for Roosevelt and his family, I want to pray for his marriage, Lord. I pray that it's bringing glory to you. I pray that his family sees what the gospel looks like by how Roosevelt and his wife enjoy life together and enjoy you together. I want to pray for his children who are in school and in college. I want to pray specifically for his son, David, and for his health. Lord, I don't know what those health conditions are, and I don't know what their school situation is, but Lord, I pray that whatever those situations are, that they are causing this family to enjoy you. Lord, specifically for their church, they are praying right now for a church musician. They're praying for unity in their congregation. They're praying for youth and ministry leaders. Lord, I pray that you will meet those needs in your time, and I pray that this church will grow more dependent on you more focused on you as they need these things and as these needs are met. Lord, I want to pray for Tom and Beth Manning, the pastor of Father's House, and for his children, Rusty, Stephen, Philip, and Caleb. 
Lord, I want to pray for the families that are part of Father's House ministry. Lord, I pray that they are enjoying you and that the gospel is centerpiece. I pray that you would guard them as you would guard Bethlehem Missionary Baptist Church, as you would guard us and these other churches from trying to feel like we have to put on a show, but just exposing the word and walking in what they've heard. Lord, I pray that they are enjoying you out loud. Pray for Bobby Atkins and his family, pastor of Highland Terrace Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for his worship, that it will be white hot. I pray that his family sees what the gospel looks like first. And Lord, as I think about Highland Terrace Baptist Church, and I think the massive resources at their fingertips, Lord, I pray for the advancement of your kingdom and that you would guard them from being enslaved to the advancement of their own dynasty. I pray that they would be spent for your glory. I'm thankful for the connections that you're giving us right now with them, with some families that we have on the far corners of the field. Lord, pray for Jose Amaya and Iglesia Bautista. Lord, I pray for his family and his worship and his marriage that is fueled by worship. <coughs> Lord, I pray for their ministry in reaching the Spanish-speaking community and enjoying you out loud in Spanish. Lord, last this morning, I want to pray for Randy Felder and Dixon Baptist Church as we think about the possibilities at Cleek Retreat as we dream together. Just pray that if it's your will that you'll connect those dots and those massive walls around Jericho will look smaller knowing that you are bigger than he, than he that's in the world. Lord, I also want to pray for believers at this school, families that are connected to this middle school. Lord, I pray for worship as they connect and they come and go each week in this school. I pray for parents in the parent-teacher association and parents that work together on things that classes are doing together, that in those, that your people would be salty and bright and aromatic. Lord, lastly, I want to pray for our church. I pray for our potential journey with Bethel AME, that you would give us clarity through prayer, through elders, praying together, dreaming together. If that's something that we need to be part of, that we'll step out into it boldly trusting you. I pray for our current and ongoing journey with the Rafa Clinic. Lord, I pray that you'll bring into focus how we can better come alongside this ministry. And I pray that you'll mobilize these families to see that they can be part, about, part of something, part of bringing the wall down around a Jericho, a big Jericho. Lord, I pray for our possible involvement in a maternity house and our ongoing involvement with the fatherless, that we will continue to be a church that's characterized by fine and good and true religion, caring for those that have needs, specifically orphans and widows. Lord, I pray for our involvement where the rubber meets the road in needs. I pray that we, we will be about things that matter, with the final thing that's placed under Christ's feet until the final thing is placed under his feet and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Pray that you'll give us endurance in this, whether it takes weeks or months or years or decades, that we'll be faithful to dream big and to step out in what you've called us to. Thankful for our opportunity to be here on location this morning at the middle school. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're about to uh, take the Lord's Supper as we do uh, each week. And I wanted to read from Psalm 39. Psalm 39 says, 
It's real short. It says, as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. There's a message that God's given us to proclaim to others with our mouth, with our lives. Uh, Romans 12 says, all of your life is to be lived for the glory of God. But that won't happen if there's no fire inside that's burning. And there will be no fire inside burning if there's no musing. So you've heard things this morning. You've heard things in your family devotionals. You've heard things in previous sermons. You've heard things from each other that we need to muse because as I mused, the fire burned and then I spoke with my tongue. So there's two things I want us to remember as we take this supper. One is the encouragement from this, which is similar to what Paul said to Timothy. Think over what I say and the Lord will give you understanding. We know from other parts of Scripture, the purpose of understanding is obedience. We want to walk in this. We want to be bright and salty and aromatic. So the first thing is, as I muse, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. So think over the things that we've heard this morning and previously leading up to these things that have been shared this morning about how we move in our community. The second thing I want us to remember is that we're not the only ones gathering at the table this morning. It's a really timely reminder that we're partaking of the supper along with many others in this community and obviously beyond that. So we're taking part in something that's much bigger than us so we can have big expectations and hopes and dreams and goals. And the supper itself can remind us of that as we gather humbly and partake of it. Listen to what it says in Corinthians. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of Christ, as we aim to walk in obedience, mindful of the fact that we are not the only ones gathering at the table this morning, and hopeful that through the dominion of Christ, more will gather, take, and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of Christ, take and drink. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the sweet privilege it is of gathering here this morning uh, to worship you, to uh, hear dreams uh, and goals that, that you've instilled uh, in your children, to be encouraged by the truth, to have fellowship with one another, to gather at the table, to take the supper, to have prayer, to have the privilege of, of giving and offertory. Lord, we are a blessed people, and we can go through all of those things and take part in all of those things faithfully, not having to feel futile in, in the movement because of the very real dominion that exists because of what you have accomplished, what you have done, what you're doing. Lord, we love you very much. We pray that you would uh, be glorified and honored in the remainder of our time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have two thoughts to leave you with this morning. Years ago, y'all hear me mention this sometimes. I, I, don't, I feel like the Lord led me through some things that conditioned me and equipped me for what I'm doing right now. So it, it's often my reference point. Years ago, I landed on the beach, Mogadishu, in Somalia, under the cover of darkness. 
left the skin of a ship, the inside of a ship in 101, or with 101 Marines, 100, 100 beside me, and 18 Zodiac boats. And we landed in Somalia not knowing what we we're going to expect. We were the first Marines to, lit, to land there. And we landed loaded for bear. I had, okay, I was an executive officer of a company. Executive officers typically carry a little nine millimeter pistol, Beretta. Pew, pew. That just doesn't sound like bear to me. So I said, okay, armor, I want an M16 with an M203 grenade launcher underneath it, and I want a full vest of grenades. I'm not talking these kind you throw, but the kind that you shoot, like, you know, serious weaponry. So I could hardly walk. I had so much ammo. You know, I'm like, hope this, hope this boat doesn't tip over because I'm going to be an anchor. But I want to tell you, I want you to think about something. The difference, the contrast between landing and facing harm with a pea shooter or landing and facing arm ready for bear. I want you to realize some of these things we're talking about right now, these bears, poverty, crime, abortion, um, orphans, these massive bears. If all you think you have is a pea shooter, you're not going to engage those things. You're going to hide from them. But the gospel's not a pea shooter. It's not a nine mil. It's like a bazooka. That's what the Hebrews preacher is saying. You guys have the goods and you're hunkered down behind locked doors like a bunch of Frady cats. You have the goods. That, that may be the worst illustration in the world. I don't know. It might be like alarming to you. I don't know. We're not going to shoot anybody. But let me tell you something. We have a gospel that can transform lives. We have a gospel that can transform these bears where we can reckon with these sort of issues. That's what the Hebrews preacher has said. That's what God said through him. So hopefully we'll be a church that steps out in that. Sure, you're scared. You still got the goods, though. You know, I've got something that is truly life-altering. I have something that's truly community-transforming. I have something that the gates of hell will not prevail against. So I'm going to step out as if I've got the goods, as if I've got the mojo, because we do. Man, I hope we're that kind of church as a result of where we've been. The other thing I want to share with you is uh, John chapter 10 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One of the things that we enjoyed about being in this chapter years ago was connecting to his imagery of the shepherd and sheep and his illustrations. They just deliver. You know, oftentimes our illustrations, like mine, shooting, you know, stuff like that, they break down at a certain point. His don't break down. They're inexhaustible. And one of the things that we enjoyed when considering how much like a shepherd he is is how much like sheep we are. And one of the things we found about sheep is there's this problem that shepherds face with sheep where if they're overfed, a healthy sheep that's overfed can lay down in a field and if there's a little divot or just the right, you know, terrain there, he can actually roll over onto his back and die. It's called cast sheep. 
So the shepherd has to constantly watch his sheep to make sure they're not overfed and under-exercised. Now, why that connected for me is to think about the possibility of us being a church that eats these hour-long massive meals and then doesn't go and exercise in what we've heard. We could be a bunch of cast sheep, potentially, dying and we don't even know it. That sheep doesn't know he's dying. He's got a full belly. He's like, man, that's good. But under the sun and with the situation that he's in, he's just going to die. So hopefully we're walking in what we're hearing. Let's continue to eat these massive meals together, these massive realities. But once, once we've reckoned with them, let, let's let them reckon with us. Where we step out and go and do. I encourage you to be that people. And families or individuals or whoever you might be here this morning, I beg you to pray through these things. We need to step out in what we've heard. Y'all stand up and I'll dismiss you. God, I'm thankful that we have a purpose, that we're not just about some sort of activity biding time until your son returns or we go to you. I hate that notion. I'm thankful that we actually have a mission. We actually have a direction and trajectory. And Lord, I'm thankful that over time through our journey together in the word as a people that you are refining it and bringing it into focus. Lord, I'm excited about what's in store. I personally feel a fresh vigor over what's in store. Thankful for this sweet call to Greenville. Thankful for this opportunity that we have as a church, these many opportunities that we're facing to be the people of God. Lord, for those who are frightened at even the notion and are just dismissing it just because it sounds hard, I just pray that you will encourage them to realize that it feels that way for everybody. And that you're glorified whenever someone feels ill-equipped and ill-prepared and insignificant. And they step out in something that you called them to. And you see an outcome that's greater to them that you get all the glory. We love you, Lord. We give you the rest of this day and this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.